Hello and welcome to the podcast, How Did You End Up Here? I'm Jamie Hare and I'm talking to people in interesting jobs and finding out what path they took to get there. This week is part one of my chat with musician and senior lecturer, Davy Scott. Here he takes us from his formative years in Falkirk through to the formation of one of his early bands, Hearts and Minds. Davy Scott, thank you very much for uh, joining us today and giving us some time. My pleasure. Um, can we just start by asking what your current job title and vocations are? Well, I'm a, I'm a senior lecturer uh, at UWS, a University of West of Scotland, uh, where I work within the music subject area. And I also have uh, some duties as international lead. So, so I've been involved in bringing on some uh, partners in Europe to, to do our music programmes. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so it's quite a, it's quite a wide role but basically it's all music so mm-hmm. so yeah i love it and out with uws you're still very an, a very active musician yeah radio presenter as well can, can you talk to a little bit about what you're doing musically at the moment uh, i'm in the middle of well in the middle of i should really be at the end of uh the ninth pearl fishers album my, my group is the is the pearl fishers I should say it's, it's the it's the it's the it's the title of I use for my music projects. There are there are there are constant members in that band. It's not really a band in the old fashioned sense, uh, but we're just finishing off a record, uh, and hopefully that will be out by the end of this year, two thousand eighteen. Exciting! So it's an exciting period, just right on the edge of it. Is it, or is it? How do you? Yeah, it's a funny butterflies thing. Butterflies and stomach. Yeah, it always is because you, because you you know you put your heart and soul, and when you make a record, you, you just think uh, you always think I've got to make my best record. You know, and any artist that doesn't do that should just give up. You you, you know you 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 really go in there and you think right, I'm going to make the best best thing I've ever made. And of course, while we're making it, you think it is the best thing you ever made. And then reality kicks in as you get to the end of it and you think, well, you know. And funny enough, on this one, I was almost done and I then started writing again. And and four or five things came in late that I thought were worth uh, sort of holding things up for. And I'm in a period right now as we speak of uh, just preparing to do some recording sessions, but I'm still crossing the I's and dotting the T's of some songs so yes it's quite it's quite a sort of you know creatively active period for me which I love it's it's amazing being in the kind of belly of the beast you know fantastic can we just rewind back to your younger days uh, you're from Falkirk, am I right? Like, so you're born in Falkirk? God's country yes yes I know you're a big Falkirk FC fan yeah um what was your earliest as you're growing up? What's your earliest memories of music and you know what was it that struck struck you about it? You're obviously really passionate about it but what what was the initial well, I think, I think as a kid, you know, it's difficult to put your finger on when you first get in, you know, interested in music to the extent that that's either all that you can think about or that's what you want to do in your life. Uh, it's hard to really imagine children not loving music because we, we, we are sort of uh, conditioned, I think, or not conditioned, but we, just the way that human beings are, we, we vibrate with music and we, we sort of... Uh, really have that sense of connection with melody and with harmony, and I don't think anybody on our planet is is is, is any different than that. Uh, and for me, it's just the same as MDLs. You know, it's it's, it's you know it's carol singing at Christmas, and and it's it's uh, you know taking part in school shows, and it's you know in my case. Uh, getting excited by seeing things like David Bowie on Top of the Pops in 1974, and and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, and the, I suppose that the interesting thing for me, though, is, is that 
all of the way through my life as a songwriter, I've I've, I've talked about that in my songs. Uh, and there's one one of the, the, the first singles that the Pearlfishers ever made was a thing called Saint Francis songs, uh, where I brought together a lot of my early experiences and thinking. I went to St. Francis School, uh, we were taken to St. Francis Xavier's Church, uh, and in that song I talk about the tenement building that was brought up, my family, I talk about them by name in some songs, and for, for me, uh, th there is a connection with childhood in my writing that is, it's not just about how you first fell in love with music, but it's it's about using music to understand your childhood experiences. So for me, it's kind of really primal and, and I, yeah. I mean, I'm 53 now, okay? Mm -hmm. I've made tons of records and, uh, you know, written tons of songs and all that, but I keep going back to those, those themes and, and mm -hmm. thinking about uh, when I first fell in love with music. People are, you know, trying to understand the human experience, and 
you know, I'm not couldn't I'm not a musician by any stretch. But to listen to it, you know, a lot I listen to a lot of music and a lot of lyrics mean a lot to me to try and, you know, work out what's happening in my own life or whatever. It, is that a part of your Mo- I don't want to use yeah. the phrase motivation because I think almost it's almost like a you, you know it's, it's, it's a motivation a, you know. and I think it's something you're deeply motivated to do mm. because you, everybody every human being I'm sure would like to understand themselves better. Mm. Uh, it's, it's you know it's a it's, it's a short life but it's a long life as well in many ways and and, and you have to kind of try and make some sense of it mm. uh, and I think what happens is you, you hear people say all the time. I really relate to that, you know. Mm-hmm. I remember watching the the, the the film The Graduate with uh, a pal of mine uh, years and years ago, and we were just at the age where you think that you're the guy in that film, except of course you're not kind of privileged to the extent that you've got a, a Lotus sports car and all that. But you know, you know what I mean. Yeah. And you say, okay, I really relate to that, or yeah. I really relate to that song, or that's mm-hmm. me in that song. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you start to unpick that a wee bit, mm-hmm. what you're saying is that, that I understand myself a wee bit better because somebody else said it for me. Yeah. And, and you know, or, or that, the way that that person sings or, or the, the way that harmony kind of, you know, chimes in through that song or the record or whatever mm-hmm. makes me feel something, right? Mm-hmm. And that is the kind of experience of being excited by and being seduced by music. Mm-hmm. So when you flip that on its head... The great thing for the songwriter is that you get to you get to explore that through your songs, and you get to go looking for that that mine for that gold yeah. in your heart. I'm working on a song at the minute called "I Walk Into the Blue Night," and I'm hoping it'll make our uh, album. And it's one of those things, in a way, it's a kind of weird thing because it's actually a song about writing songs. Uh, and what the song says is that 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 moment where you kind of give yourself over to you know, they used to call it inspiration, you know, we we're we are reaching for something, you know, he's reaching in the middle. You see see songwriters talk and they're kind of gesturing with their hands into midair as if they're trying to pull something out of midair. Mm. Uh, that moment is is a real moment of trust. Mm-hmm. You know, and you trust yourself, you trust the cosmos, you trust whatever, uh, in order to find something that's beautiful and you can make sense of and in doing that just understand a tiny wee bit more about you or your human mm. experience. Because it's uh, Noel Gallagher talks about you're sort of everyone's fishing in a pond for for songs and yeah. you know he he's, he'll maybe hear a song by Neil Young and he'll say oh, I wish I'd got that one or come up with that one and, yeah. and that sort of thing. So it's yeah, they used to talk about the collective unconscious. You know, mm. you know that that you know this idea that there's all this stuff uh, floating about, and songwriters just have to reach up and pull it down. It's mm. a wee bit more complicated than that. Yeah. But I do understand that concept, mm. and I think it's interesting that there can be uh, this kind of sea of beautiful things that mm. that 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 are waiting there to be discovered. Uh, how how much that would stand up to scrutiny, I don't know. But but certainly, I know the feeling. Of writing a song, uh, and that song I was talking about, walking to the blue night. I talk about out there on the cliff edge, mm-hmm. trusting something completely, mm-hmm. uh, and and at that moment, it's the most beautiful moment for any creative person. Mm-hmm. Is when you're hitting something and it, everything lights up. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. I was living there, 
at school, um, you obviously talked about school shows. Did you, you know, were there pianos and guitars at school? How did you come? How, how did you? Come yeah, up I was. I, I remember there was a. I, I, I told this story to somebody the other day. There was a guy arrived at our school when I was in fifth year. He was a new PE teacher, and I showed up. A, a rehearsal for what was the school show at the time and somebody called me out by name and this guy turned around and he says are you Davy Scott? and I said aye <laughs> and he said uh, he said I was just looking at the register he said you've not been at PE PE for the last four years <laughs> <laughs> and 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 I basically used to kind of dodge out all of that stuff that I didn't want to do mm. and go and sit in the music rooms down there and play piano okay. and I wrote tons of songs when I was a kid awesome. that, that way mm-hmm. uh, and it was a teacher there a woman called Pat Crossan mm-hmm. uh, who was the, the, the uh, music teacher uh, it's not a not untypical atypical sorry for yeah, musicians to have a supportive music teacher that's mm-hmm. what musicians do yeah. uh, but she was really supportive and, and would let me kind of go and, and, and play I d- didn't even do standard grade music until mm-hmm. I was in sixth year okay. uh, I, yeah, in our school you had to choose art or music Okay. and I chose art and, and did music in, in my own time and I used to just go down there and play the piano I kind of learned how to play the piano in that way I wasn't taught the piano uh, as well as guitar and all the rest of it. And I got involved in school shows, which were the standard school shows, right? The Boyfriend, blah, blah, blah. And I think I was quite a good uh, sort of school mm-hmm. uh, standard kind of actor mm-hmm. and ended up in lots of really good roles in that. And then there was one show they did, uh, and I remember the guy who, who ran the show, a guy called Jim Allen, said, uh, oh, we've got these uh, songs. He said, they really this show. He said, the songs are shite. Right, he says, "Do you fancy rewriting some of them?" And I was like, "Yeah, right." Yeah. <laughs> so, so that was amazing. I was yeah. in fifth year or something, mm-hmm. and they sort of gave me the lyrics for these songs. Mm-hmm. I won't say what the show was in case Jim gets sued retrospectively. <laughs> uh, and I just kind of rewrote the songs, rewrote the melodies for these words, and in some cases, and that was a massive learning curve mm-hmm. because what you were doing then was not just writing songs that you thought would impress your pals, yeah. uh, or or you know, and you know, ape your favourite records, which mm-hmm. is what, what young young musicians tend to do. Uh, but there was a there was an output for it, and yep. and, and the sense of actually doing a, a kind of professional brief. And I was in, as I say, fifth year, I think, at school at the time, and I really worked hard on those songs. Uh, and actually, I've got to say, I think I probably did four or five of them. Two of them I can remember very strongly to this day. So, mm-hmm. so they must have been good tunes, yeah. you know. Uh, so that was a, just an example of the kind of encouragement you mm-hmm. got. Uh, but alongside that, I, I always remember as well as a, and, and this is something that I think is you know potentially interesting for uh, young musicians. That sense of searching for something. I remember we did a it was a, a, a Tennessee Williams a play called The Glass Menagerie. I don't know if you heard of that, but anyway, it was one of these things that was stu- studied in uh, school, and I was really inspired by the glass menagerie. I could not tell you the first thing about that play now, but I can always remember rushing down to the piano room in the school and actually making up this wee tune that I thought would be an amazing theme for something called the glass menagerie. I could play, play it for you to this day. Uh, I've never done anything with it, but that was a moment as well where you realised actually everything here is pointing to music. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what comes up, I think of it in musical terms. Yeah. And uh, and also, you can see that there is a way that you can do that usefully yeah. with an output and with mm-hmm. a, a, you know. 
Yeah. It's it's great to hear you were encouraged to sort of write songs. I have sort of I've heard people speaking of uh, you know when children get into music before and you know I played the piano and the violin, but you're playing other other tunes, established tunes and that yeah. sort of thing. Whereas if you think of other things like art or even uh, you, you would never you would a child would never just try and draw other things that exist. Children try and okay, picture their own scene, come up with yeah. their own scenes or construct their own constructions, whether it be with Lego or sand or whatever. So, but is at well, I mean, I guess songwriting is obviously a bit more complicated in, in terms of that thing. But it's great to hear that you were encouraged to actually come up with songs uh, of your own for a, for a, for something at, I, at a kind of young age. And actually, it's all that I was interested in. Mm. I mean, to this day, you know, my, my wife Margaret will say to me, uh, "You know, play a play a song or whatever," and I can never think of anything to play. Right. Uh, I mean, if there's a party or whatever and people are playing guitar, I can I can do it and I can pull mm. songs up from from whatever. Mm. Uh, my pal Kenny and I could could play the the entire Beatles catalogue, you know, but. By and large, I can never think it in a play yeah. because I've spent all my life writing my own songs, yeah. even when I was a kid, because that was what I was really interested in and passionate about. Mm-hmm. And it's funny you mentioned um, that you didn't do standard grade music. You did art. Or you, yeah. you did art mostly because I know, obviously, uh, obviously we spoke a lot about music, but art's obviously a big part of your life as well. And you went actually to art school as well. Can, can you talk to us a little bit about your uh, growing up with art and things and what you were interested in? Yeah, I mean, I was, a, a, like many kids or in the 70s, uh, there were a few kind of programmes on the television. There was a, there was a famous programme called Vision On, mm-hmm. uh, which was a, an award-winning television programme uh, that was for uh, for all kids, regardless of, of sensory impairment or whatever. Uh, and And... Really, really successfully brought a lot of kind of uh, in issues that you would think, you know, were not necessarily seventies issues r- right there uh, on on the table. And mm-hmm. they had a thing, a uh, kind of they had a gallery uh, at the end, and kids would send in their, their mm-hmm. pictures and all that. Uh, and I think I probably got something shown in the gallery for some reason. I think I drew a picture of Martin Buchan, who was an Aberdeen player. Yeah, because right? mm. I think probably because he's he was easy to draw because he had a, a, a bowl cut. Right, right, <laughs> <laughs> right. So I, I, I've got a memory of draw, drawing yeah. that and saying that. And mm-hmm. but the, but the real point of it was that was that you saw uh, that that kids across the UK were drawn and creating things and some of these things were really beautiful uh, and I just naturally gravitated towards it and, and I, you know as, as a kid just drew a lot painted a lot it was another way that I uh, related to the world and then when I got to higher school really got more and more focused on that uh, I had another television experience where I had, I had a, a, a picture of Paul and Linda McCartney was a runner-up in the Blue Pizza. Famous face. Right. Awesome. I have a Blue Peter badge. Do you really? Is, well, it's not that Blue Peter badge. There's another story about it, but probably going to get time for that today, but I do have a Blue Peter badge Brilliant. and it is for that. Awesome. Uh, so the thing was, you, you were really encouraged to do it. Mm-hmm. To be honest with you, I got so mad about music and art in the last couple of years the the, the, the school, I totally underachieved at school, mm-hmm. I ended up with two hires. That was that was you know I was definitely capable and much better than that. Mm-hmm. Or or I didn't say better. Better is the wrong word. I was definitely capable of more hires than that. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Uh, the Beatles. 
right? So, so uh, I ended up not really kind of, right. yeah. And I went to, so I went to, I, I couldn't think of what to do, and I went to Falkirk College and did graphics for two years. Mm-hmm. On a course that now doesn't run uh, anymore, but it was it was a two year graphics course. Mm-hmm. I really really loved it, uh, and worked with a lot of good people there. Did some really good work. Met some brilliant people I know to this day, and then got accepted for Glasgow School of Art with the portfolio that I worked on there. Mm-hmm. And so, did you think in that, mo- that moment? So I guess you're eighteen, nineteen, twenty, something like that. What's your What's your thoughts in terms of? Your career as such, what, what, what do you see yourself going? Or did, are you just sort of enjoying it for the moment? Uh, you know, and in some ways, I mean, I was very kind of purist creative practitioner in those days. I would say that probably in some ways I still am. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just thought that what you did was you made work and, yeah. and hoped that somebody bought it. Yeah. Uh, and and if nobody bought it, then you were able to do a job that, that you you know you didn't despise or, mm-hmm. or whatever. Uh, and actually, one of the first things I ever did, I was, I was a lucky kid. My mum and dad were, were incredibly supportive of me. Uh, and this thing called the, the Task and Portrait Studio came out mm-hmm. in the kind of late 70s, which was, the, the, it was a really revolutionary point, point for musicians, where you could actually get a, a machine. It was like a, a, a square box, a bit like the size of, you know, a DJ desk or something like that. And it would have, it worked on cassette, but you could record on four tracks simultaneously. So you could put something down, uh, you could treat it with EQ, you know, put mm-hmm. treble or whatever, yep. uh, then add another track to that while listening to the first, and then bloop, boom, boom, boom. And I had made, pr- uh, you know, uh, primitive uh, multi-track recordings by using two tape recorders. Mm-hmm. So I would record a bit of a song on one and then I would play it back on that tape recorder, sing along with it while recording on the other tape recorder and add a harmony or whatever. And I made tons of music that way. So the task I'm bought to do was like an, another thing again. Mm-hmm. And the first thing I did when I got it was I made an album. Mm-hmm. Because I thought, well, that's what you do. You know what I mean? So, 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 and you're just doing that in your bedroom, essentially? I, I just did it in my album. I just thought, well, what will I do? I'll make an album. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So... I made an album, and, uh-huh. and some of it, and when I think of it now, I mean, some of it was me almost kind of making up songs in the minute, mm. and uh, I I finished it, and I copied it one by one, mm-hmm. uh, and sold, I don't know, 30, 40 copies of something in Falkirk. Right. I, I printed sleeves and hand-coloured awesome. them. So this was like... Oh, how much of must a hand-coloured <laughs> Davy Scott album be uh, worth these days? I wouldn't get your hopes up. <laughs> uh, it, the funny thing is, that it, I called that album Zaza's Garden, and mm-hmm. my first album with the Pearlfishers was also called Zaza's right. Garden. I, I, I wonder if I'm in, in, a, in a small club of people who have released yeah. two albums with the same name. Yeah, but yeah. the point I'm trying to make, to, to, you know, for, for your listeners who, who may be dropping off by this point, is, <laughs> no, is that, is that it, my instinct was just to make an album, yeah. right? And actually to get it out there. So, so in terms of career... Mm-hmm. I just thought, well, maybe you can make, and it's so naive, it's, it's unbelievable, maybe you can make albums and people will buy them. Mm-hmm. And maybe you could, you know, I didn't even think about having a band. Yeah. Right? Uh, and I just made music, mm-hmm. recorded it and sold it. And it was this part of that as a kind of punk ethic. Yep. I, I'm not a punk, never was. Mm-hmm. I love punk music, but MD said my records know that I'm not in mm-hmm. that world. But I've always been very, very strongly mm-hmm. aligned with the ethic of that, yeah. the DIY ethic. Just make a record yeah. and see what happens. So when I went to art school, as well as that, there was a lot, you have to think about this as well. This was the early 80s. Uh, 
Glasgow, which is where everybody was really, really cent centering there. I was from Falkirk, but I, I was mm. moving closer and closer to, to, to Glasgow, was an incredibly confident, you know, upwardly mobile, and I mean that in, in not in an economic sense, mm -hmm. uh, but a confident, forward-thinking city. Uh, Gregory's Girl had come out. You cannot underestimate the, the impact of that film. Mm -hmm. uh, Tinseltown and the Rain had come out with the Blue Nile. Mm -hmm. This is a band who'd made an album without a London major record company uh, and had made it to this extraordinary kind of mm -hmm. level. And you suddenly sort of started thinking, and you know, and then there was all of the indie stuff around about that as well. I mean, right off the back of Postcard Records, mm -hmm. uh, Splash One and all that, the, all of this kind of stuff, none of which I was particularly a part of, but actually you were part of the energy of that. Yeah. And, and it was possible to imagine being a creative yeah. and actually having an audience that would be interested mm -hmm. in what you had to say. Yeah. Were you playing live a lot of the time? When you're making your album, you're playing live or you're just, just recording? Uh, just recording. And I mean, when I say an album, you know, I mean, it's an album of demos, really. But, but you know, I never really put a band together until mm -hmm. I got a record deal. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I've never been... It's pro probably something that's actually probably negatively impacted. Certainly the early part of my career was the fact that I didn't quite grasp that it's quite good to have a band mm -hmm. uh, that, that can play great and, and you know... Uh, you know, you can sort of work together. I, I was more of a, a lone, uh -huh. lone shark in a way. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, when, when I eventually did sort of start getting some interest for the demos I was mm -hmm. making, uh, eventually did put a band together and, and it was great. And 
Because it's funny, and just to obviously we're both big Beatles fans. The Beatles considered that what they did was basically the same as what Picasso did. They were basically just expressing themselves in a different way. So, did you see your art and your music as essentially the same thing? And often you've combined it with your art, with your artwork and your albums. Did you see it as part of the same thing? They just Definitely. slightly different expressed different ways definitely and that's also a very 80s thing mm-hmm. uh, when people talk about the 80s you know the, it tends to be framed in either one or two ways one is uh, about the stylistic elements of the music mm-hmm. and, and the, the kind of generic kind of things about the, the, the sequencers and the sort of big snare sounds and all that kind of stuff or they, they maybe talk about the sort of political thing that was coming in there where you got bands mm-hmm. uh, but actually there's a much more fundamental thing in the 80s which was which goes right back to probably around about uh, the Andy Warhol sort of exploding plastic inevitable stuff in the mm-hmm. mid sixties, and that sense of a factory of musicians mm-hmm. who uh, who regard themselves as artists. Yeah. So even if you look at, at groups who who eventually had a lot of commercial success and could be seen as kind of glossy pop stars, think about something like Spandau Ballet, for example. Uh, there was such an aesthetic about that group that was not just about the way the record sounded, but about the way it was packaged, mm-hmm. about the way they looked. Uh, and look at a group like Friends again, one of my favourite uh, Scottish uh, groups. You can't call them an indie group because they, they, they were a major label band, actually, but they, they just sound like an indie group, uh, a magnificent indie group. But they, again, worked with the same artwork uh, team, The Cloth, and that whole Friends against th- stuff is so curated mm-hmm. and it's so much about a kind of... Uh, it's about looking at the world and saying, look, okay, this is art, mm-hmm. okay? Uh, you know, and if we get a hit single, well, that'd be great. <laughs> but, it's you know, we're, we're, we're basically above that, yeah. okay? And, and that, that is a kind of... That's taken a position. So, so there's that kind of part of it. And, yeah, for me, just really, really interested in the way that art and music... Mm-hmm. Uh, Sort of intersects. Funny you say about, about the Beatles and Picasso. I think that's true. If you look at somebody like Paul McCartney, uh, whatever whatever your your take on on him as a musician, uh, you could look at him as the Picasso of of uh, pop music simply because the breadth of his expression is so vast mm-hmm. as a musician. Yeah. I mean, it's absolutely vast. Yeah. You know, and you look at somebody like uh, Brian Wilson in terms of the uh, you know the spiritual element of his his music. Look at him as a kind of Michelangelo, mm-hmm. you know, a sort of a, a sort of questing for inner spiritual, which infuses all the way through his music. Mm-hmm. You know, and you could go on, and yeah. you could even go up to the, the, the present day. There's tons of great examples of it. But, but yeah, you're right. So you've uh, you've you made your own album. Um, you're obviously up and coming. You've had some early successes. Your early record deals. How did? Can you tell me how they came about and what, yeah, what's the I, process I, in getting them? I played guitar for. A, a group in Falkirk called Second Nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, a cup, just pals of mine, and I played guitar for them. And they had the foresight. And this get an il- another wee illustration of this that they had a manager, a guy called Ewan uh, from Larbert, lovely guy, and, and a really forward thinking guy. Uh, and he he would get me to design posters for their their shows. Mm-hmm. And he always had big concepts for the posters and all. I remember once he said, "I want you to do a a, a poster." That's like a dole check. <laughs> it's such a, it's such a yeah. thing. Yeah. So I did this poster for for Second Nature, not like like a dole check, yeah. uh, and you know so that kind of stuff. And and they had a real thing. I remember we played in Reeds and Fog, which was a disco. Uh, and when they came on, they said, "Right, we're going to walk." 
through the audience. Right, this is a banded. Nobody knew who they were, right? We're going to walk through the audience and we're going to play John Barry's The Girl With The Sun In Her Hair, right? And they walk through this kind of disco and Falkirk with this magnificent orchestral music. <laughs> and he walked in the back of them and then we did these kind of scratchy indie kind of songs. So anyway, they, he had the foresight to hire a producer, a guy called Bobby Henry, mm -hmm. uh, who was uh, just recently returned from uh, London where he was a, a musician-songwriter with a band called BIM. And he was producing, so they actually hired a producer. Now, that, that's quite a, a far-sighted thing to do, because what bands usually do is go into a studio mm -hmm. with an engineer and fight amongst themselves yeah. and get nothing done. Uh, but Bobby was there as a producer, and he he loved what I did on guitar. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and a, a, it was a good session, really enjoyed it. They were a great band. And he said, look, have you got any of your own music? And I said, well, as it happens. Mm -hmm. So I sent him... Uh, uh, a demo and I told him that I'd save some money up mm -hmm. uh, to go into the studio and he came back he was working with a guy called Eddie Trainer. they had a, a company called Shift Records uh, in Cumbernauld and he said look we're actually doing a compilation for Phonogram Records a sort of you know a sort of Scottish uh, pop bands compilation save your money we'll take you in the studio we'll pay for it uh, so for the first time, went into the studio, Palladium Studios out in Edinburgh. Uh, they brought a drummer, uh, and I think Bobby played bass, and I played everything else, mm -hmm. and, and sang. And I had a guy in the band at the time, a guy called uh, Kenny Thompson, still a pal, and he played a bit of guitar. And we we just recorded that, and then the news came back. Phonogram love it. And do you want to go back in the studio and they'll pay for it? Uh, yes, so that ha over the period of about three or four months, we went back in two or three times mm -hmm. and recorded something like seven or eight sides, something like that. Uh, the band's name was Chewy Raccoon. Uh, no, it doesn't roll off the tongue. Uh, the compilation album came out, uh, did okay. I think they got some uh, some. Uh, attention for it and then Phonogram said they wanted to sign us I was actually at the art school at the time and I was up in hospital field in Arbroath mm -hmm. uh, on a painting thing and I got the call get back down we're going to London tomorrow and Phonogram want to see you and they're mm -hmm. going to make an offer so they made an offer for a singles deal which is you know that's your bog standard kind of entry point you would be looking for an albums deal when I'm thinking it now we really should have held out you know but that's naivety there you go uh, and they gave us a singles deal, and off the back of that, uh, publishing a company started bidding for the publishing, mm -hmm. and I did a deal with Virgin uh, Music, which proved ultimately very, very sustaining in my career. Mm -hmm. uh, and and then yeah, and then it all went wrong, mm -hmm. you know. Can, and was that under the the banner of Chewy Raccoon? It was, yeah. yeah. So so we went down, we went to London, and we made. Uh, a record with a guy called Mark Berry, mm -hmm. a New York remixer, good guy. Phoning uh, up didn't like it. Mm. So they said, we're going to put you back in. So we went in with a couple of guys called uh, Pat Foley and Chris Sologi, American producers, and we recorded the same song that we'd just recorded with Mark Berry, that we'd also just recorded with Bobby Henry on Palladium mm -hmm. for the third time, right? And Phonogram didn't like it, but at that point they thought, well, we better put it out. So, and it was, it was rubbish, 
right? Did uh, you over the three recordings? Do you think this is getting further and further away from what I intended to no, be? No, I just, I just the thing was, I was only twenty years old, so yeah. I was thinking, God, I better, better do this. Yeah, this is what happens, you know. You, you, you know, yeah. that's when I say, you know, I, I underestimated how great it is to be in a band mm. because actually in that situation what you've got is you've got some bullshit guy in the band or some 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 pals they're going to say hang a second guys mm. let's not do this yeah, yeah. you know and, and actually I just you know went along with it foolishly and when I look at, listen back now uh, I cannot stomach listening to the record but I tell you what I could listen to the demo it's mm-hmm. beautiful yeah yeah it's a beautiful thing they should have put that out and of course went out and it was rubbish, so nobody listened to it, and, and the record company dropped you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's a big, that's a massive, and massive disappointment, you know. If you're a young man, you've uh, you've obviously been working hard, you've, you've got art school, you've got a number of things on, and I suppose you then focus on on one thing. I don't, obviously, your family know you've got a record deal, I don't know how many other friends. Is it a, must be a bit of a blow to the... Ego, it's, yes. It's ego and self-esteem as well. To yeah, you know what it is. It really is. But now, it's not really your fault in that. And that was, you know, it's. But you. But that doesn't matter. It is, but that happens to a lot of people. And and actually, you know, people people have trouble in their careers, and people mm-hmm. have trouble doing what they want to do. And you, you do actually have to sort of understand that that it is not just all about you, mm-hmm. uh, and that other people make decisions. Because and I, you know, while looking at it now. I don't blame any of those guys at Phonogram for that. They're all good, good people. I loved working with them. Mm-hmm. Really, really good. I had a lovely experience, and I, and you know, I, I wouldn't say I wouldn't change a thing because I would change a thing, but I, I do still look back on that fondly. I was lucky that I had a a, rec- a publishing deal with Virgin, though, because what happens is uh, certainly what happened then is is if you've got a record deal, then the publishers get excited because there's always that chance that you're going to uh, sell a few records. So. I was actually able to kind of push the price up for my publishing, mm-hmm. or I should say my manager Eddie was, and ended up with a really, really great deal with, with Virgin. Mm-hmm. And they committed to the publishing for many years, which they honoured. Mm-hmm. And so I did actually have a steady stream of income of some kind okay. that allowed me, for example, to go and do demos with other artists. Mm-hmm. Uh, and through doing that, I got a couple of songs in... Uh, so, you know, movies and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. I see a couple of songs. One song in a movie called The Girl in the Picture. Uh, I got a couple of cover versions by a Japanese pop artist. Okay. Uh, so the, the publisher is sitting there thinking, actually, this is this is not not too bad. Yeah. You know, we could develop this. And, and also, I put another band together pretty quickly after uh, losing that deal. Mm-hmm. And actually started to get people coming along to the shows. Mm-hmm. So Chewy Raccoon went on, on tour and we did okay. We, we people would come and see the band. There was a, a really nice feeling about the about the band and, and what we put together. But with the next group, Hearts and Minds, there there was a real feeling, I think, in audiences that saw the band that that it was kinda special. Mm-hmm. And 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 I think it was kinda special and, and, and the songs were, were I you know, I put my heart and soul into the songs and and they really, really worked.
That's all for this time. Thanks very much for downloading or streaming this episode. And thanks, of course, to Davy Scott for sitting down with me. Thanks also to Davy for allowing the use of his music in the show. The tracks we heard were St Francis songs and Working and Wasting Time by the Pearl Fishers, then the Hearts and Minds tracks Change and Turning Turtle. You can check out more of Davy's work at his websites davidscottmusic.co.uk and pearlfishers.co.uk and you can follow him on Twitter, he's at the Pearl Fishers. You can also follow me on Twitter, I'm at Jamie Hare. Goodbye for now and I'll be back next week with part two of How Did You End Up Here with Davy Scott.